Welcome to the Man in the Middle podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host, recording today from the historic WGNS Studios, located in the heart of the great volunteer state, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, folks, we're uh, recording today here in May. May the 21st, we're headed into Memorial Day weekend, and I hope that uh, everyone has a safe and happy Memorial Day, and we remember why we have a Memorial Day. It's all of those folks who have served and sacrificed for this country so that we can be free. And we're free, folks. We're free today as we were in 1776. We're going to talk about freedoms today. We're going to talk about the economy. And uh, I look forward to having my next guest on. Mr. Gabriel Fancher will be joining me. I'm Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. We'll be right back. Do you feel politically homeless, lost in the chaos of modern politics, not sure who to believe? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Democrats call him a Republican. Republicans call him a socialist. He is Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Man in the Middle Podcast. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host. And uh, joining me today is Mr. Uh, Gabriel Fancher. Uh, Gabe has been a previous guest on the show, and uh, we're looking forward to some of his contributions uh, uh, today. Uh, we want to find out his opinions on, uh, on a lot of things political and a lot of things economic. Gabe, welcome to the Man in the Middle Podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming today, Gabe. And I know, I uh, hope uh, you and the family are all doing well. We are uh, quarantining it out, man. That's you know? I, I, I'm a little worried. We, the more open society becomes, the more worried I become. So, yeah. Well, it's. I'll tell you, Gabe. I'm. I don't get out unless I have to. Probably similar with you. And it seems mixed. I see some folks that are being very observant of the guidelines and i see other folks that are just throwing caution to the wind is that your experience game my experience exactly what i've found is that the more if you know someone who has had it you're far more likely to take it seriously yeah and if you haven't then i mean if you don't know what what how some people have suffered you're like eh, whatever you know right well you know gabe i think it's really um just a matter of of those of us who passed biology and those that didn't. I mean, is that is that a fair assessment? Well, that that would knock me out if you saw my high school biology score. <laughs> well, Gabe, I, you like I mentioned earlier, you've been a guest on the podcast before, and I really appreciate uh, what you contribute. We don't necessarily agree on all of the issues, but uh, you and I find a way to have these civil conversations and to bring this. Um, to the, the listeners of the podcast, and I think that they really appreciate this uh, a little bit of the back and forth and the civility that we have. And uh, Gabe, remind our listeners what you do and for a living and a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I work at MTSU. I'm program director for the Political Economy Research Institute, and we put on um, – I'm in charge of putting on presentations for students and I hope they come back in the fall uh, so I can have some presentations to put on. Right. But our main goal is to uh, teach people about what makes economies work and how to make them better 
And, uh, you know, and of course, um, Jane, uh, Jim Buchanan, James Buchanan, uh, is a graduate from MTSU. He went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, Nobel Economics Prize. And uh, he's sort of the founder of political economy. And so that's kind of the tie to MTSU and what brought the this institute there. Well, I really think that that in these times, Gabe, especially with what's going on in the world, you know, the virus to the side with the economy, uh, that's what's really uh, on the top of a lot of folks' mind right now. In in addition to being safe, so well, let's let's just start right there, Gabe. What do you think about the chances of coming back in the fall? I know that MTSU has announced that they do plan on having the students back in the fall, um, and their uh, University of Tennessee has done the same. Um, and they have very strict guidelines, Gabe. But can I get your opinion on that? Well, you know, I'm. I'm. First of all, let me say I'm not speaking for MTSU. I'm right. just speaking for Gabriel Fancher. You know, right. Um, but I think that um, life does have. We have to find a way for life to go on, hmm. right? Yes. But I do think that we need to be wise about how we proceed, and then uh, we need to make sure we protect people who can't protect themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that that the administrators and and um, uh, the board of trustees, I think everyone that's involved, um, they want to do everything they possibly can to ensure the safety of the students and the faculty. Would would you agree with that? Totally agree with that. They've they've done a really great job of taking care of their staff and and caring for students and students that couldn't go home. They gave a place to stay to. And I, I just think Middle Tennessee has handled it really well. And so I'm I'm excited for the fall to get here as far as getting students back. Um, but uh, I am, you know, I'm still worried, you know, does that mean that we'll have a second wave? And, and what does that look like? And how is that going to affect our economy? And, you know. Right, right. So uh, is there anything that we can really put our thumb on right now, Gabe? Is it imports? Is it exports? Is it, uh, I mean, we have uh, 14% unemployment in Tennessee, the highest ever recorded this past month. And um, a lot of folks are hurting out there, Gabe. And how are we going to jumpstart this economy again? How do we, um, how do we get back well, the Federal Reserve and Congress have put trillions of dollars into the system, yes. right? So so there's a lot of fuel in the tank. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what we're seeing, because you've seen the stock market, I mean, rallied a couple, like a thousand points the other day. But um, I think you're seeing that Wall Street is handling it much better than Main Street would be my guess right now. And it just takes a while to get the, the funds down to the people that need them, number one. And government just isn't very effective at um, these areas because they just don't have the information that they think they have. Does that make you – that's my feeling on it. it. It does. There is a gap there between the information and there is a disconnect. I think that's what a lot of voters feel uh, from a, from the, the public side. They feel there is a – and the businesses as well. Have you heard mixed reviews about the SBA um, and the and the uh, help that the government is trying to give these small businesses? Or are you hearing positive or negative stories? What what? How would you gauge what you've heard so far? I'm going to say it's mostly negative. As well. okay. I mean, a lot of people are waiting and haven't been. You know, the thing is when when uh, something like this happens, bills are still due at the end of the month, and so people are having to dip into their savings and things of that nature and. And there's a lot of businesses on, business owners out there that are fearful because they don't know what the future holds. 
Right. And that's what, like, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to take risk and, and you take risk believing that the future will be better. Mm -hmm. Right. And right right now, just as we were discussing, we don't know what the fall is going to hold for us. Right. And so I think that's going to hold a lot of people back, keep a lot of entrepreneurs from really taking steps out and taking risk. But I do believe that those that are willing to take the risk could stand to gain a whole lot because of it. I agree with you. There are opportunities out there to be had. Uh, I recently talked to a guy that's talking about revolutionizing the porta potty business, you know, which is just, <laughs> yeah. but it's going to be the simple ideas uh, that, sure. that are going to change that. And uh, this guy was really on, he was like, how's Bonnaroo going to have uh, bathrooms without porta potty, you know? So, I mean, there are, there are people that are out there that are uh, trying to come up with innovative solutions. Uh, and so there will be a lot of opportunity. Gabe, um, you mentioned the federal package that the stimulus plans that have come down. Now, part of that was taxpayer money. I think two trillion was, but three trillion of it was provided by the Federal Reserve. And I'm talking about the small business loans. Is this is this unprecedented? Has the Federal Reserve ever done this before? No, I mean all they what they have done is they've really expanded the powers that they've used in previous times, right? So every time there's been an emergency, an issue, the Fed, you know, can will broadly interpret the bits of law that put them in place, right, and then draw from that some new superpower, basically. And so right now, the new superpower is buying bonds. They're buying, um, you know, business bonds, and then they're also buying uh, city and and state bonds. And the real issue, I wonder, is. Will this make the Federal Reserve far more political in the long run? Yeah. And I think they will. I think so, too. So explain to our listeners, um, if I pulled up to the Federal Reserve and asked for the public tour, what would they tell me, Gabe? Well, they'd probably give you a tour. You know, there's a, we've, we've got a branch in Nashville that will right. show you around, you know, and treat right. you real nice. <clears throat> but, but the Federal Reserve is not the federal government. That's the point that I'm trying to get to. Explain to exactly explain right. like, who, like who, who that is. Federal Express, right? If you, if you went and saw FedEx out in Memphis, that's not, it's no more federal than anything else, right? And so the, the, the Federal Reserve is the, uh, the bank for the government, right? And the bank for all of our banks. And so it is the the bank of last resort. And so that's what you're seeing them do right now is use as much monetary stimulus that they can muster to try to keep the economy on the rails. Yeah, and and you know, I so we're getting really deep down the down the rabbit hole here, Gabe. Uh, <laughs> but basically, they're just typing zeros into the machine, right? I mean, they're you know, if you've got ten dollars in the bank and we add a few zeros there, suddenly you've got ten thousand. Is that how you understand how the basically the currency is being uh, held up? Well. It's not quite that simple, okay. but that, but that is one of the tools that they plan on using next is my understanding. Okay. Um, they call those money drops. And if you have a, a, a bank account, then they're going to put money in your bank account. I mean, this is it. If we don't, if we were to spiral further, mm-hmm. this is their next tool is to start putting cash into consumers bank accounts. So you're talking Which about crazy. But that's what that is really what is next. Yeah. Yeah. I, so you're talking about direct deposits into the citizens bank accounts. So a bottom yeah. up, a trickle up 
for lack of a better term? Maybe. I don't know if I would use that term because it has so many other meanings to it. But the issue is if you can get cash out into the economy, people Mm. will spend it. Right. right? Especially if you get enough. I think right now what we're seeing is that in our economy, people are saving. And so even if you get some money from the government, if you don't need to spend it, you're not spending it. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of people save money at this point. And um, and and so the Federal Reserve has to figure out a way to get that money moving. And one way of doing it is to put it. I mean, that's why they lower rates, right? They lower rates so people mm-hmm. are less incentivized to save. Right. And so you lower rates to get people to spend, or you put money in their bank account eventually. And if you put enough there, you and I will we'll go spending, right, Steve? <laughs> right. Everyone can use a new flat screen, right, or or whatever you know, whatever's out there. Everybody's got that list out there. Gabe, what is the danger? The long-term danger of doing this, I mean, how long can we do this? Is there any historical evidence of other countries that have done this? Or is there a danger? I think there's, when you're dealing with monetary policy, you're it's very dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Federal Reserve, you know, they 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 admit that they don't know exactly what they're doing all the time when you know when geithner and and uh, paulson and all those guys were dealing in 2008 they were like we're just throwing spaghetti on the wall here and that's seeing too what big works. to fail right yep right and so and that's what we're seeing now as well is that they're you know they're they're just trying these new things out and you know from one standpoint we haven't gone down to you know we haven't really to be as as high of unemployment that we have, I don't think people are feeling it as widely as they probably should. I agree with you. I think that it's probably difficult for us to wrap our minds around what this actually means right now at this point. It, it, it will take time for us to be able to actually realize what has happened. Gabe, did the government... And, and you talked about the Federal Reserve and how it's probably going to become politicized the more it gets involved because you basically you're dealing with unelected officials that have this much right. control over the economy. Well, you know, they are appointed by the president and Trump has been known to, you know, go on his Twitter account and talk about Jerome Powell, who is charging the, of the Federal Reserve right now. He threatened to remove him right early on. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, the, this is not new. There's recordings of Nixon and other presidents going to the Federal Reserve and, you know, giving them the what for as well, because, you know, it's always been a little bit political Mm -hmm. because you always want that economy to be juiced up when it comes election time. Right. 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 And so the the Federal Reserve is good at juicing up the economy. And so it has been politicized some. But the issue is now they're going to own bonds and therefore be owners of, you know, like, and be at the table of these companies. And you wonder, like, uh, I believe it was Sheila Jackson Lee that was saying that now that uh, the Federal Reserve owns some of these companies, they need to institute higher paying wages and certain rights for employees. And, you know, and so those things could be coming possibly from all this. I mean, the, the pressure will be there. That's for sure. Yeah, I think so. I really do. And I think as we hand over more, and I think a lot of folks don't really understand how much control the Federal Reserve had prior to this. But as you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned earlier that um, they, they've had to jump in the bond market because the the reason why they jumped in, Gabe, is it was collapsing. It was. Well, and that's what, when you don't think people can pay their bills, 
you don't want to be the one waiting for a bill, right? Right. So, so, yes. so it was collapsing with good reason, in my opinion, right? Like, right. Well, well, that's that's kind of the point. So here in Tennessee, we're fortunate with the balanced budget amendment from the state, and we don't have cities other outside of Nashville. Nashville's in serious trouble. Maybe I should re- rethink that. Uh, but, um, you know, if you wanted to build a bridge— yeah, go ahead. I think a lot of our cities are in far more trouble than we okay. realize. Yeah. That, right? they, they derive a lot of money from sales. Right? Yes, right. Uh, sales tax. From your brick yes. and mortar sales. Right? right. They don't get that Amazon money. Right. right? The state gets that. Right. And so um, it, we've been shopping, but we've been shopping online. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I go to the grocery store and, yes, yeah, Murfreesboro and Rutherford County get a piece of that. But, but I'm not spending, you know, I just... I think that um, you have local governments have not made any cuts yet. Yeah, right. They haven't. So, but let me tell you something. It's coming. Their income has yeah. been cut. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the so, cuts are coming, um, Gabe. You know they are. They have to. They have to. They have to. And it's back to your point. So, for our listeners out there, if we wanted to build a bridge, let's say the city of Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, was in serious financial condition and we needed to build a bridge over the stones river we build that bridge by issuing bonds if folks wonder what a bond is that's what it is we say the city of murfreesboro is issuing a bond to build this bridge that's basically what a bond is right i mean and so folks buy those bonds so that the city of murfreesboro can actually build that bridge or rutherford county right and that's what the bond market mostly consists of am i right is that correct? Yes, a correct right. assessment. Or, you know, and then companies do the same thing, right? They may, you know, you're a company and you want to build a new product, right. you issue a bond, you'll get a lump sum of money, you're willing to pay a certain percentage rate on that money, and then over time you pay that that off. And, and, and it's so, it's typically considered for an investor a safe bet, right? In the past, historically speaking. Well, because it's say if the company was to declare bankruptcy, mm-hmm. bondholders are in front of the line of stockholders. Gotcha. So that's why it gets the, this idea of safer. It's so um, informative, Gabe. You're teaching me so much, like you always do. So, um, I mean, how do we ease? You know, they're talking about more, Gabe. They're talking. The Federal Reserve yeah. said they needed the Congress needed to put ten trillion dollars into the economy. Now, I'm a little bit on the left side, right? I'm on the left. But that sounds like a huge hole to dig out of when you add that on top of what we've already, how far we are in the hole now. I'll I'll conjure up Paul Krugman here for you. Okay, yeah. And he said that all we got to do to solve this debt issue is have the Treasury create a billion dollar, a trillion dollar coin we can roll that thing over and we can pay all this debt off. It's not a problem. Right. But do we have any standing in the rest of the world as far as our currency goes? And as far as our, I mean, do we lose? No, I mean, so most of the time when you've seen banks like federal, like banks, like, like the federal reserve of other countries, when they get out of control, like in Zimbabwe or down in Venezuela or somewhere, they print too much money. Right. You, you can see this massive, hyperinflation is what it's called. That's where, you know, like it takes more and more money to buy the same goods that you're going to purchase the other day. It gets where prices are changing daily and things of that nature. And so it causes a lot of problems in the economy. And so most of the time what happens in those situations is people just switch 
currencies. Right. They change to something else. Mm -hmm. Right. But right now, the entire world is saying, we're kind of worried about what's going on here. Send us some dollars. Right. And so even though we are printing, like creating this money, like you were saying on the computer, click, click, click. Right. Even though we're creating all this money, we are not seeing any of the ramifications of it. We're not going to feel those because the rest of the world is soaking all those assets up. Yeah. If that ever changes, then we're in trouble. Then we're in trouble. So this is what you said last time. You gave me the very same. Now, we were talking about this before the virus ever hit, Gabe. You and I were. We were talking about a sovereign debt crisis, and you were telling me, you said, as long as the U.S. dollar stays strong and the rest of the world turns to the dollar for safety, we're okay. Yes, exactly. But if that changes... Right. But I mean, you know, so I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, we're we're the worst. We're like the best house in the worst neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, so wh- where else are you going to go? Right. Like, is there another country out there that you trust more that has the ability to, you know, to to do what our economy does? And the answer is no right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Even though we're having our own difficulties, yes, I think you're exactly right. right. I mean, like China has an economy that's large enough, right? But nobody trusts them, right? I mean, around the world, they don't they don't trust them. And Europe has more problems than we do, so it's just there's just no one to really turn to at this point. So. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a great. Yeah, and New Zealand's not really, you know, it's a great place to be right now, but, but it's not big right, enough. There are countries that are better out right. there that that out that not better but that um, have a lot of the issue, like a lot of the things that we would want in a stable currency, right? Like, like Switzerland comes to mind, right? Yeah, like, right. The, the, yeah, right. Absolutely. But it's so small that it can't, right. can't do that. Yeah. And so the U S on the other hand, we're large enough to do it. And, and oil is traded in dollars. Yes. So the petrol. Right. That's and another the, safety mechanism we have in place. It sure is. And so that was really strange when during the midst of all of this, the futures went down to negative 27 for a barrel of oil, right? They'll give you right. 30 I, bucks to take a barrel. I've and, got a barrel in my backyard. Right? Yeah, yeah, you put a tank up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, sure. they, so there are these farms like up in New Jersey, they have these farms of tanks, tank farms. They're yeah. all full. There's no availability until sometime next year for an empty tank right. uh, of oil. So oil is going to stay low for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to get back to this bond idea, so they, they've, because the fed has started buying these bonds, they've saved a lot of companies from having to go bankrupt. Yes. Right. That includes the oil companies that were hurting, right. They haven't, you haven't heard of any big bankruptcies there, right. That's correct. Um, yeah. They bought uh, your, um, your cruise ships. They bought their debt. Right. We don't really talk. I mean, we don't know exactly what they bought, but given what has done, what has happened to the prices of the these companies, you would assume that someone is buying their debt and that someone be the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And so um, you're going to have what I, my fear about this is, is when you don't let companies fail, you're going to have real weak, weakened companies like these zombies walking around, which is what has happened in Japan. And Japan's companies are all like they call them zombie companies and zombie banks because they they're not strong enough to really produce or create anything neat and new, but they're they won't die either. Yeah, so that that was kind of one of the knocks on the SBA um, for all of these loans is they're 
were companies receiving this money uh, in some cases that hadn't been profitable, were near bankruptcy, and now they're getting this injection of cash. But because their product is, you know, number four in their market or they're, they're just not going to make it long term. Right. But this just kind of pushes them a little bit further. And they just happen to kind of be at the right place at the right time if, if they wanted to keep their company going. Is that the way you understand it? Yeah. You know, so there's this term in economics called creative destruction. And mm-hmm. that's where when something dies, something new comes forward. Right. Like so these companies die off, you know, and then something somebody will go, well, I can do that better and they'll start something new. But when companies don't die, then they just kind of hobble along. And and so really, I just I feel like who's going to pay for this the most is the common person. Right. Like yeah. the regular guy right. uh, is going to have. We can look forward to higher taxes eventually, right? Mm. We can look forward to milk is going to go up in cost. Eventually, we're going to get a little bit of inflation, I imagine, from this, right? Right. And so we're going to have higher prices and probably stagnant wages would Mm. be my guess, you know? And it's just not, that's not a good... That's not a good recipe for the common person. Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's it's um, it's going to be tough all every way around. I think um, um, as far as this goes, Gabe. There's a lot of talk out there about globalism and globalist. Um, if I believe that I, that Jack Daniels should sell their product in China or Germany, does that make me a globalist? I don't. I don't think so, but maybe. Right? I guess it depends on your definition of globalist, right? Right. I was explaining this to my daughter the other day because she was saying that she felt, and she's just 13, you know, and she was saying that she feels that the U.S. needs to bring some of these companies back home to the U.S. to, you know, that, that we shouldn't be making T-shirts in Bangladesh. We should make them here, you know, like. We're right. used to in Kentucky, right? Right. With through the loom. But, uh, and I was trying to explain to her that how international trade helps develop peace and keeps countries from wanting to fight with each other. Sure right? does. Yep. And, and it also helps, you know, even though those guys in Bangladesh are making very little, they were making less before that, right? You know, and so, um, so I don't think, when I think of globalist, I think of like one world government or something along those lines. Okay. I don't, uh, I don't, Free trade is not what comes to mind. Okay, okay, I, I I appreciate that because I think that we need Jack Daniels to sell everywhere in the world. That provides jobs for Tennesseans, it and does. and it does. and obviously we need the opportunity to uh, the choice to buy products wherever we want to buy them from, if as long as they come into this country legally, right? So yeah, you know, but there is some argument against some of that because, like in China, where they have you know almost forced labor, almost slave yeah, labor over right, there. Right. At some point, we need to decide whether that's morally right for us to buy those products. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, I mean, and that's something that maybe the government needs to decide. You know. But I, I'm not I'm not sure on that just yet. I haven't made my mind up. Yeah, well, it's such a tough because obviously we don't want um, uh, we, we do need certain um, products that for national security reasons that we can make here in this country if we absolutely have to. However, doesn't that start if we start state sponsoring businesses? Isn't that socialism, Gabe? Isn't that? I mean, isn't you that mean what that is? The 30s. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. But just a bigger dose, right? 
Yes. Well, we, you know, look, everybody, we just don't like to call it socialism. Right. <laughs> right. right. That's the, but everybody likes for Uncle Sam to give them a little help every now and then. Sure they do. Sure they do. Well, it'll be interesting to see how all of this comes down because I think everyone's kind of juggling these different points of view right views right now. We know that we need to make antibiotics in the United States in case obviously we need to make masks in the United States or you know all of these shortages that we're having um, but uh, but at, you know how far do we go as far as government support of those companies I think will be the real question uh, in the future because you know what they're going to say they're going to say we can't pay a union wage and pro- and produce penicillin uh, for for five bucks a, a a prescription, right? I mean, that's going to be the exactly argument. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think instead of like bringing the the people who make the mask here, the government probably ought to stockpile those things. Yeah, you know? for sure. We've got plenty of dollars being printed, right? We, you know, we could throw a few toward those guys. You would think and have so. Some extra mask, you know? yeah, I'm, um, I'm, yeah. But you know, I just look. The problem is the government tries to fix something and the, here's my libertarian side coming out yeah. is that the government will, will meddle and try to fix something and then cause other problems. And I think that we're going to see other problems from them trying their, whatever they save us from this time leads to causing the problem next time down the and road. So, yes. Uh, I think you're right. Down the road. And, and that's why, and, you know, when the free market starts mixing like that, that's when you start having issues like that. And that's where I am cautious about how we approach all of this. You brought up the mask, Gabe. I got to ask you about the mask. And then we're going to get a little political here. We'll swap off yeah. uh, off of economics here. Um, you see some folks, it's becoming a cultural thing. Would you agree with that? You know, I hate that it is because I feel like uh, so I feel like if you're pro Trump, you're not supposed to wear a mask. It's kind of the feeling I get. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and and I mean, I just don't think that that's wise. I don't know. I but, I, but here, look, let me be honest. I'm a person that wears a mask when I go out in public right. because I don't know if I have it or not. Right. right. I don't know if I'm an asymptomatic person. Right. Maybe I have the disease and don't know it. And I want to do my part to try to protect others who may not be so lucky to be asymptomatic. Right. And so um, I just think that I I hate that wearing a mask has become politicized. Yeah. Is is there any food? Is there anything behind the whole, um, um, you know, a violation of the, the government is asking folks to wear masks. They're not mandating it. Right. So is that a civil liberties violation to ask you to wear a mask? You know, I feel like Americans don't like to be told what to do. No, in we general. don't. Like, right. I mean, we, we are probably some of the most unruly on the whole planet, you know, which is, um, interesting and leads to lots of other discussions, but we don't like to be told what to do. Um, and so a lot of people feel like they are being told to wear these masks and they have a problem with it. And I get that cause I don't like being told what to do either, but I drive on the right side of the road. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Because it provides order. Right. It, and, it, and it gets me to where I need to go safely. Yeah, and right. I, I feel, feel like some of these things, to live in society, you got to give up a little bit here and there just sure. to get along, right? Right. And so wearing a mask is kind of like being Southern. It's the, you just do it because it's nice, right? Yeah, right. You know, you, right. you get to the door for an old lady, 
that's walking in, you know, you, 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 know, you do the, you just do those sort of things, not because you have to be told to, because it's nice. I think wearing a mask is nice. Cordial. It's what we should do. Yeah. Right. I think that's a great point. Cordial. So I think really, it's really in the messaging game. So if we told and you brought up the South and, and of course we're here in the heart of the South here in Tennessee. And if, I think that's all in the messaging game. I think if we told Southerners that if you want to see football this fall, put the mask on. I mean, <laughs> we'd all have, we'd have one on right now. I, I know. I, I mean, in the world, it's just so twilight zone not having baseball. We missed March Madness. Man, if we don't have football this fall, I think people are going to just be just nuts. What do you think? I totally, I think uh, football keeps us sane here in the South. I think it does. Yeah. I really do. There's, it, I think there's a lot to it as far as in rivalries and things of that nature you know we we put we put a lot on the field right that uh we don't you know and so we get a lot of emotion out yeah. by cheering for our teams yes and i worry what this world will look like without sports i yeah. really do right right absolutely and i know uh i know i don't know if you heard but the ncaa has gone ahead and told the football the colleges they can start uh the season which i think that's a good sign let's hope that that, uh, but but we still need to keep our mask on, right? I mean, this can all go south quickly, and um, yeah. I want to see some football this fall. I, we need, we're going to have a needed distraction, don't you think? We uh, we need a distraction. No doubt. I mean, and football is a great distraction, um, and just it I, it would be sad for us not to have it. But you know, I don't. I just. I, I don't know how you're going to keep, you know, 60,000 people out of these football games on Saturdays, you know, like these right. fans are going to want to go, you know, see their teams. And, Absolutely. And, then, um, and I don't think that we're going to have a vaccine or a cure for this COVID-19 by then. And so I just, it, it's the recipe for a disaster is what it is. It, it really is. I, I saw a um... – uh, a model on Nayland Stadium at the University of Tennessee, as you know, about 100,000 people they can put in that stadium. And if they did the six feet apart, if they did the social distancing in the stadium, that 100,000-person stadium would hold about 20,000 people for a game. Wow. So if Those are you some expensive tickets all of a sudden, aren't they? Very expensive. There it drives the economy there, though, Gabe. Right? That'll that'll definitely create a shortage in the market. And uh, sure. but you think about the smaller schools. Think about Middle Tennessee State with a much smaller stadium. So you're talking about just a few thousand folks that might be able to actually go see the game. I'm going to try not to make too big of a joke here, <laughs> but I think we've been practicing for this moment for a while now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. Gabe, uh, I, I want to go to um, – uh, I want to I want to get back serious here on – I want to talk about Mitch McConnell and this liability shield. Are you familiar with what he's talking about? I, I've heard it on some other radio – like some other radio talk shows talking about it. I think that um, – I think that we do have a concern as far as like are we going to be able to blame people for where you got – COVID-19. Right. Right. Um, and so, and if so, who do we blame and, you know, and therefore who do we take to court? Right. Right. Um, so perhaps this is needed. It's probably better that we get in front of it rather than wait and see, you know, what, what the courts decide. Mm -hmm. Um, but then again, 
you know, who pulls the strings uh, in D.C. are those that give money to these elected officials. And so. Right. And, and you know, it's kind of like taking, you know, to me, uh, the judicial system is a pillar of democracy. I mean, everyone, uh, the old saying is everyone's entitled to their day in court doesn't mean the judge isn't going to throw it out immediately or the jury's going to agree with you. But I think my real concern is not the big corporations. They have armies of lawyers and and bank accounts full of money and fight these things on a daily basis. I'm concerned about the small business guy because they probably could endure one lawsuit and win. Even if they win that lawsuit, it could still break their business. Do you, is that a fair assessment, Gabe, in many cases? Well, I mean, you know that small businesses deal on such a small margin of, of victory, right? There's, Absolutely. You know, there's just a small line that where they make that profit. And so uh, if you add the, add a cost to them, which this would, right, you right. probably have to go buy some type of insurance to protect you from these type of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just going to make it more difficult on small business yes. because they can, they're the ones that can least afford it. Um, larger businesses – like you said, they can afford attorneys, they can afford things, but small businesses can't. And so, right. you know, I think what we're seeing right now is the death of the mom and pop business. Yeah, and gosh, man, that's just, that's half of our economy, Gabe. That's uh, that's half of and, where everybody works. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so that to me, that's that's what we have to be concerned about. We uh, but however, if we I believe if we give this liability shield to all businesses, then doesn't that mean even the worst offender, the most negligent per, uh, uh, employer will get away with whatever? Right. You have to be very careful how you write it up. Right? Yeah. And right. You know, because there are unintended cons- consequences to government actions. I agree. So, so do you think that, do you think that judges can discern frivolous lawsuits from real lawsuits? Do you believe that they do a pretty good job with that? Or do you think that there's too many frivolous, there's a lot of frivolous lawsuits out there. I think we can both agree with that. But, uh, but, do you, but don't you think that most judges and juries can tell when somebody's putting on or, or do you think the Robin Hood uh, mentality of the jury, do you think that really plays a role? Because there's a lot of juries that are award a lot of money, uh, especially against big corporations, just because they, they call it Robin Hood. Basically, they can they can take that money and give it to the little guy. So sure. what do you think about that? Well, I think that, you know, well, when you have one attorney in a town, he'll, he'll starve to death, right? Right, right? But if you put two in one town, they'll make, they'll make a living then, right? That's right. And so, you know, so that's – in some other countries, they have laws in place where if you do bring that frivolous lawsuit into court and you lose, you're going to have to pay some money to the other party. And That's right. Court and we don't have that here. And there's some advantages to the fact that we don't have that, right? Because it goes back to what you said. Every man gets his day in court. Right. No matter what. Right. Right. And so, um, so, you know, you got to balance that out. And the question is, do you you lean toward like, like us where everybody does get that day in court without fear of having to go into debt because they went into court? Or do you do something where you, you protect people from frivolous lawsuits, but then you also cause some people not to go to the court? 
because they don't want to take the chance, right? That's Even right. Even though they were wronged, they don't want to take the chance. You know? Yeah, so. and and I think that also in a lot of cases, the courts aren't accessible to a lot of folks that don't have a lot of money. Um, if a lawyer doesn't want to do pro bono, they, these guys just don't have access to the court. Oh, I, the, the court system is a rich man's game. Right. Period. Yeah. You know, and so, um, and every, every poor person out there knows that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, I want to swap gears only one more time. We've never touched on this issue, Gabe. We've ne- and, and, I, and I don't know what your position is on this. A recent study out of Canada, they're working on this. And, and, and listen, folks, this is I'm not promoting, not a doctor, not promoting any sort of cure. But a recent study out of Canada is showing the folks um, who consume cannabis, uh, whether through edibles or smoking marijuana, uh, they have a lower incidence of contracting this virus. Now, these are preliminary studies. Gabe, should we legalize marijuana in Tennessee and on a federal level, and should we tax it? Uh, we're going to need money, um, as you and I, as you, as you uh, so brilliantly said earlier in the podcast, we're running out of money. Is that not a great way to raise money for the for the states and for the federal government? Well. There's a lot of unintended consequences. From okay. It, perhaps. Okay. Right. Sure. But, um, you know, I think that free people should be able to make their own decisions. And, um, and so I, I am in favor of legalizing it. Okay. Um, I think that there was a bill in, in Nashville to legalize it in Tennessee and it perhaps passed if the federal government will legalize it yes right or decriminalize it reschedule it right allow the banks to work Uh, there's Mm -hmm. a booming industry here in rutherford county mike tyson the former heavyweight champion of the world iron mike tyson owns a hemp facility in rutherford county tennessee can you believe that gabe i had no idea yes and he's planning on expanding here he's got a major marijuana business going all over the country but he's growing his cbd here in tennessee here in rutherford county wow so anyway I, i think that that if we can help people prevent get the virus don't know if that's true or not we can help fill the coffers of the government and uh and back to your point about the liberty of folks having the choice of what of what they can and can't do um, empty out some of these jails that cost us a bunch of money we too. empty out the jails yeah absolutely so i think there's so many benefits but to your point about um tennessee tennessee dr brian terry one of the representatives here in rutherford county i think is the lead on the medical marijuana in tennessee and um they i believe if i'm not mistaken they tabled it this time they didn't take it to the floor because they didn't have the votes and if they'd voted on it they wouldn't be able to bring it back up for two years so they tabled it so they can maybe whip some more votes if i understand how it's going but uh, these other states that have done this before us they're, they're they're raking it in right i mean they're i mean imagine illinois is in terrible financial shape but they're bringing in millions every day uh, yeah, it's a, like a three and a half hour drive from here. You're right. You're right. And so I'm sure there are Tennesseans and, and folks from Kentucky and Missouri that are all headed to Illinois and spending their money there. 
Would, you might be able to get you like somebody to advertise on, out of Illinois on your podcast. Yeah, you know? no kidding, no kidding, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's just a short drive away. Uh, I don't think they have trouble attracting business right now, though. I don't think they're doing much advertising, you know. So probably not counting their money at this point. That's right, Gabe. Um, I really appreciate. It. Very informative. You've taught me even more today. Um, especially about economics, and I thank you for educating me on that stuff. And anything else you'd like to add to our audience today or anything that, that you see coming that we need to be looking out for in the next 60 days, 90 days? Well, you know, I thought that the markets would retest the lows that we had seen before. Yeah. You know? um, and so I've, I've been, in my own portfolio, have been far more cautious and haven't really uh, – caught this upswing that we've seen lately. But I do think that there are a lot of people out there that are stepping into the stock market now for the first time ever, thinking that it's easy money to make big money. Mm -hmm. And I I would caution people on that, (laughs) you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really just the pros taking advantage of the amateur. I mean, this, kind of this plat anyway there there are some yeah. dynamics behind it especially facebook and amazon and all of these tech companies are really holding the market up right now because they're so dominant uh, but anyway I, I think that's a really good point be, be very cautious with your investing gabe thanks for taking the time away from your family and joining us today and um Anyway, I, I look forward to having you back as we get closer to the election. I really want to want you to come on and bring it, you know, a little bit different perspective uh, for us here. And, and all the best to you and your family. Gabriel Fancher joining us today on The Man in the Middle. Thanks a lot, Gabe. Black leather glove, no sequins. Buckles on the jacket, it's elite. Nike crossbody, got a piece in it. Got to dance, but it's really on some street. I'ma show you how to get it, it go right foot up, left foot slide, left foot up, right foot slide, basically I'm saying either way we bout to slide, hey, can't let this one slide, hey, don't you wanna dance with me, no, I could dance like Michael Jackson, I could get you the passion, it's a thriller in a trap, where we from? Welcome back to the Man in the Middle podcast, season two, episode nine. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host. Well, folks, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode this week. That was a great conversation we just had with Gabe. We are going to video here in the next couple of weeks, and you're going to be able to find us on Spotify and iTunes, WGNSRadio.com. And, uh, and of course, on our Facebook page, my old congressional page at Reynolds for Congress, you'll start being able to see some of the videos and on, on the WGNS website. We look forward to getting that going. I'm going to have to shave uh, this quarantine stuff. I've been uh, We've been saving a little money on razors, so I'll make sure and, and uh, uh, get a haircut before we, uh, before we go to video. But I want to thank everyone for listening. I especially want to thank WGNS for providing a safe environment here in the studio. Uh, they are practicing the social distancing and all of the guidances that have been handed down by the CDC. And I just want to thank WGNS for doing that. And in particular, my producer, Mr. Dalton Barrett, who always makes an old country guy sound like a professional on on a podcast. So thanks again for listening, folks, and be looking for all of our content that's going to be coming out here in the future. I'll see you next week.